Well, that wasn't very fun. The Tigers go out and get blasted by the Red Sox 11-4 in a long, ugly game that featured 17 walks. I'll break that down a bit, and we'll preview the series finale today and answer some more questions on today's Locked on Tigers podcast. It is Thursday, April 25th, 2019, and I am your host, Chris Brown. And as always, I would remind you to please download, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platforms, Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the new podcasting app Himalaya. And if you have your fancy smart device, tell it to play podcast Locked on Tigers. So yeah, this was this game was sort of what I predicted. I said if Ross struggles, it could get ugly because the bullpen was a bit thin. That's kind of the weakest prediction of all time. You know, predicting a below-average team with a below-average pitcher is going to struggle is, is a bit like uh, predicting there'll be snow in the winter. But hey, if I get things sort of right, you better believe I'm going to take sort of credit. But anyway, yeah, this one was a dud from the beginning. Eduardo Rodriguez held the Tigers hitless into the fifth inning. And on the other end was Tyson Ross, who had a good first inning. Got one, two, three with two strikeouts. But that was basically, it was all downhill from there. So second inning, J.D. Martinez starts with a single. The next batter gets to a 3-2 count, so they start J.D. Martinez to avoid the double play. And what do you know? They avoid the double play. They get a grounder, but they can't turn it. So J.D.'s on second with one out. And then they get another grounder, and it goes right under Gordon Beckham's glove at second base to score a run. one nothing Boston. Then uh, Rafael Devers, who got that grounder, gets caught stealing an absolutely perfect throw from Grayson Griner. And I actually tweeted this out on the Locked on Tigers Twitter account. So if you want to check it out, really perfect throw. But then you get a walk, and Jackie Bradley hits a weak ground ball single that sends the runner to the third. So first and third with two outs, but then they do the old classic hit and run, which you don't see much anymore. Jackie Bradley is on first. He attempts to steal second, so Gordon Beckham goes to cover second base, and Christian Vasquez hits a little grounder right where Beckham used to be. It's 2 nothing Boston. So yeah, still nothing doing for the Tigers' offense, but in the bottom of the third, there was kind of a fun moment with two outs. J.D. Martinez hits a ground rule double, and the ball got stuck in a garage. <laughs> a garage door just got wedged in there. It's one of the best things about playing in these old ballparks where there's just nonsense on the playing field, like ladders. It's like, oh, hey, uh, remember this ballpark's 100 years old, so the toilet in right field is in play. And, yeah, if it lands in there, it's a it's a ground rule double. And be sure to jiggle the handle a little bit. So, yeah, uh, Ross with a nice one, two, three, fourth inning. Looks like maybe he's figuring things out. And then the fifth, the Tigers finally get a hit. Brandon Dixon leads off the inning with a walk, and then there's a flyout. But Gordon Beckham gets the first hit of the game, so there's a man on second, runner scoring position for the first time in the game. But Rodriguez gets Grayson Griner to strike out on a fastball above the zone at 93, and then gets Jacoby Jones on a nasty changeup down and away. And then in the fifth inning, Tyson Ross runs into trouble, gets a flyout, but then he issues a walk and gives up a deep RBI double to Mookie Betts that makes it 3 nothing. It was a hanging cutter, and it missed being a home run by about a foot right off the top of the Green Monster. Then there's another walk. And an RBI single from J.D. Martinez, it's 4 nothing. It looks like Ross might have to get out of the game. But he does get out of it with a strikeout and a flyout, but his day is done. Five innings, seven hits, four in runs, three walks, five strikeouts. 98 pitches, only six swings and misses. He wasn't fooling anybody. His, uh, in all, all the swings and misses were on his cutter. The Tigers need more innings from him, but they're still in the game. It's, it's 4 nothing. And in the sixth, they actually make a dent. Jamer starts off the inning with a gap double. And Nick Castellanos walks, so men on first and second with nobody out. Cabrera hits a deep fly ball to center field, and J- Jamer's able to get to third, and then Nico Goodrum hits a sack fly. It's a productive outs, as they say. It's 4-1, you know, inch and closer. And that's it for Eduardo Rodriguez. He was pretty darn good. Six innings, two hits, one earned run, three walks, seven strikeouts, 90 pitches, 19 swings and misses. Eight on the fastball, six on his change, and he threw a lot more sliders than I was expecting, than I predicted in yesterday's show. And based on the Tiger swings, I'm going to go ahead and say that it was more than they expected, too. So bottom of the six, Reed Garrett comes in, gives up a leadoff double and a deep fly out on a, re- a really nice running catch by Jacoby Jones on there. And then clever Ron Gardenhire calls a pitch out on the 1-1 count, and sure enough, he catches the Red Sox trying to steal, and Griner nails uh, the runner 
Michael Chavis. And then, uh, yeah, Garrett issues another walk but gets a fly out, so they're out of it. Top of the seventh, Tigers go one, two, three with two strikeouts. Garrett's still in there in the bottom of the seventh. Gives up an infield single to Mookie Betts, gets a deep fly out to Mitch Moreland, and then a J.D. Martinez fly out, but then gives up another single. So Gardenhire brings in Jose Fernandez to face the lefty Rafael Devers, and he gets a hard ground ball to escape, and it's still 4-1. Tigers are still in it, even though they feel like they haven't done anything. Uh, top of the eighth, this is really the key moment in the game. That Matt Barnes is in there pitching for the Red Sox. He gets two quick strikeouts, but then Cabrera gets a hard single. It was just their third hit of the game. Nico Goodrum walks, so that brings the tying run to the plate in the form of Brandon Dixon, and he gets a nice little single between shortstop and third base. So the bases are loaded. The go-ahead run is at home plate in the form of Ronnie Rodriguez, and he strikes out on three pitches, and, and that would be it. And then, oh, Lord, the bottom of the eighth, everything falls apart. Jose Fernandez is still out there. He hits the first batter. He gets a strikeout. Gives up a stolen base. Basically his fault. Huge jump off of the pitcher. Griner didn't even throw it. Then there's an RBI single. The throw from Nico Goodrum in left field hits the runner. So that makes it 5-1. Then an RBI double from Andrew Benintendi makes it 6-1. They intentionally walk Mookie Betts so that Fernandez can face another lefty. And then he unintentionally walks Mitch Moreland. So the bases are loaded. It's 6-1. There's one out. And so Drew Verhagen comes into a, a really sticky situation. The Tigers are barely holding on to competitiveness here. And he strikes out J.D. Martinez on three pitches. It was like, wow, what fantastic work. And then what the hell happened? Four-pitch walk, scores a run. It's 7-1. Then a five-pitch walk, scores another run. It's 8-1. And then another four-pitch walk from Verhagen. 9-1. What a debacle. Gardner didn't want to bring in Buck Farmer, but he had to. And Buck Farmer comes in and gives up a grounder right between first and second that scores two more runs. It's 11-1. What a nightmare inning. So yeah, the, the finish it up. The ninth inning, the Tigers come out. Tyler Thornburg's in there. He's basically just doing mop-up duty, but he leads off with a walk, which is always bad news. Gets two flyouts, but then walks Jammer Candelario. And Nick uh, Castellanos with an RBI single here in garbage time makes it 11-2. And then Dustin Peterson pinch hitting for Miguel Cabrera. It's a ground ball down the line. Two-run double. Scores two more runs. 11-4. But Nico Goodrum strikes out looking to end it. And that is it. An 11-4 loss. Yeesh. Well, you know, games like this are bound to happen over the course of the year. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened yet. 11 runs was the most the Tigers have given up this year. 10 walks, the most that they've given up. And just the eighth game in the majors this year where a team's given up 10 walks. 14 strikeouts for the offense, second time they've punched out that many times in a game this season. But, you know, sometimes you're just going to get blown out. Speaking of getting blown out, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom. So your confidence goes from none to slightly more than none. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra performance in the bedroom. BlueChew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no talking to a pharmacist, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MLB, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. So a quick preview for tonight's game, and a hello to Diane, who is going to the game. hope uh, maybe this information can help you. The Tigers face their old buddy Rick Porcello, who is off to a ridiculously bad start, and seemingly unlucky, too. He's 0-3 on the year with an 8.47 ERA. He's given up 28 hits, 4 homers, and 13 walks, 
in just 17 innings. A 414 batting average on balls in play against him suggests that there's definitely some bad luck there, but who knows when you're walking that many people, maybe you just have to lay the ball over the plate and it's getting crushed. Unfortunately for the Tigers, he did seem to get back on track in his last start. Five and two-thirds innings, six hits, two earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts. It's not terribly surprising that the Tigers haven't seen him much, except for Gordon Beckham, who was 15 for 32 with six doubles and a homer in his career against Porcello. That is ugly numbers. Cabrera and Castellanos are both two for seven, and Castellanos has a homer. So maybe there's a chance to do some damage. We'll see. Zimmerman against the Red Sox? Well, the numbers aren't so good there. That's not surprising again. Zimmerman's numbers haven't been great since coming to the Tigers. Steve Pierce is four for 12 with two homers and two doubles. Mookie Betts is three for four with a home run. Mitch Moreland is five for nine with two doubles and a homer. Yeah, and after yesterday's bullpen blowout, they're going to need some innings from Zimmerman. We may see... Joe Jimenez, and even Shane Green in situations where we might not normally see them. We'll keep an eye out for that. And yeah, I got a couple really good questions for today's show, so I'm going to try to fit these in here. The first one was actually from last week that I forgot to answer. It's from Rachel, and she says, where do bullpen catchers come from? Which I think is interesting, because I don't know where they all come from, but in my experience, about 99% of them are former catchers from their minor league system. The Tigers' current bullpen catcher is named Tim Remus, and he was in their minor league system for about six years as a, they signed him as a undrafted free agent, and he never made it above Double A. But teams always have guys like that. They're a solid defender and game caller and leader, with absolutely no chance of ever hitting enough to make the majors. The team just sends them wherever they need a catcher during the minor league season. For the five years before that, it was John Murian who the Tigers drafted in the ninth round in 2009. And before that, it was Jeff Kunkel for three years, who was the 37th rounder in 2005. And often bullpen catcher is kind of a stepping stone to a career in coaching. Murian is now a hitting coach in rookie ball, and Kunkel moved into scouting. But yeah, I mean, what bullpen catchers, you know, they, they catch relievers in the bullpen, obviously, but they also work with the coaching staff and pitchers and catchers to develop game plans and such. And they throw batting practice, and they'll catch simulated games when a, a pitcher needs to do that. And basically, they serve as extra bodies for any kind of drills you need, like infield drills. And they get paid about 90 grand a year, according to Fangraphs. So it's hard work, but that's not a bad paycheck at all. So, and then I got this question from Perry, and this is relating to the show a couple days ago when I was talking about barrels and how Cabrera and Castellanos and Mercer and Candelario have all hit multiple barrels but have no home runs to show for them. And so he said, so regarding the ballpark effects and barrel numbers from the show the other day, if barrels produce home runs 55% of the time and the Tigers players have fewer home runs because they play in Comerica, what is the percentage of barrels hit by all players in Comerica that go for home runs? And where does that rank among all ballparks? And that makes sense. Yeah, we want to see if it's just a weird anomaly for the Tigers. And so here are the numbers. Since 2017, Comerica has produced home runs on about 43.2% of barrels. So that's 12% lower than average. But it's interesting to note that with, with 720 barrels, Comerica has produced the most barrels in baseball by a pretty wide margin. The next closest is Globe Life Park, which is formerly the ballpark in Arlington where the Rangers play, at 699. So the Tigers, you know, 21 more at Comerica. And after that, Oakland has 681. So you're really, you're talking about a pretty big outlier here for Comerica Park. There are only six stadiums that have allowed 650 or more barrels. And yet that 43% of barrels that turn into home runs is the second lowest barrel per home run ratio only to Oracle Park in San Francisco, which is at 39.2%. And sure enough, they're talking about moving in the fences there at Oracle. So on the other side of the fence is the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, where 71% of barrels go for home runs, followed by Dodger Stadium and Camden Yards at 66%. And Major League Baseball has a a StatCast podcast, and they've done articles about this. And it's kind of a well-known fact that Comerica produces barrels, and we we can figure out why 
a lot of them don't turn into home runs. It's a you know deep center field, very spacious ballpark. But why does it produce so many barrels? The, the best anyone can guess is that it has a really fantastic batter's eye, and batters see the balls well. And the batter's eye is the blacked out, or greened out in this case, space behind the pitcher that provides some contrast to the baseball. And, it, and usually it's just an area of seats covered with black or something like that. With Comerica, you have that really long, dark green section of ivy and stuff like that, and, and hitters seem to love hitting there, so... That makes some sense. And then Perry had a follow-up question. He said, the follow-up would be, since the game is moving towards strikeouts and home runs, are we harming our chances of winning by having the park we have? And if we build a team specifically to play small ball, are we harming our chances to win? And yes, that's the rub, isn't it, Hamlet? In the end, I don't really think it has too much of an effect, despite what we were said. I mean, you've got a ballpark that is evidently very conducive to hard contact, but it also severely limits the damage of that hard contact. And so the end result is that the ballpark ranks 21st, over the last two and a half seasons, or two plus seasons, in terms of overall barrels that turn into home runs. So, you know, you've got the, the high-end number of barrels, a very low-end number of barrels that turn into home runs, but since they meet in the middle, it's really just kind of bottom third. There have been 311 home runs on barrels in Comerica, and the MLB average is 338. So you're looking at like a dozen homers stolen a year. That's not nothing, but to get you to your question about building a team to play small ball, harming their chances of winning, I say yes, it very much would, but I don't, I don't think that any team should ever be built to play small ball uh, unless you're playing your games on the moon or something ridiculous like that. It's just, and I, I don't think teams in general should build their team to fit their ballpark. Uh, you know, for years and years, the Rockies tried all sorts of things to get their pitching to work in Coors Field. Like, they really tried a lot of stuff. They, they went after guys who only threw sinkers and sliders. They installed a humidor. They raised the fences. They tried a four-man rotation. They tried holding starters to a pitch count of 75, and none of it worked. And then last year, Colorado had great pitching, and it turned out that the secret was just to have good pitchers. Just get, get guys who throw hard and command the ball and have good breaking balls, and that's it. So, yeah, forget small ball. Uh, we can complain about the lost home runs, but plenty of those turn into doubles and triples. So your best bet is still just to get good players. It's, it's ideal to have players who can give you speed and defense, but preferably they'll also be able to get on base and hit the hell out of the ball. Uh, and unfortunately, there isn't much of that in the Tigers system. If you count the Tigers... This year, the Major League team and their four minor league full-season affiliates, they have a total of 53 home runs this season. The Seattle Mariners have a total of 56 homers as a team this year. So not a whole lot of power coming up through the Tiger system. And the final question here is from Scott, and he says, Do baseball players just steal bases because it's fun? It seems like a very high-risk, low-reward activity. And, you know, it's funny because it, stealing bases was kind of one of the core principles of the early Moneyball crowd in, in that you don't ever steal bases because the outs are precious and that 90 feet isn't worth the risk. Teams have kind of pulled away from that now, but there is a certain expectation of success on stolen base attempts. And it varies a little bit by the game situation, but the general rule is that if you can't steal bases at like a 75% success rate, then you shouldn't even try. And it turns out that's basically just a result of math. So I, I know I've talked about win probability on the show before, but I'm not sure if I talked about run expectancy. But the basic idea with that is that based on decades of information, there's an expected outcome in terms of runs scored for every combination of base runners and outs in an inning. So, for example, with no one on and two outs, teams are expected to score about 0.1 run. You know, it's just not a conducive to scoring a lot of runs. And the opposite end of the spectrum, the bases loaded and nobody out, teams are expected to score 2.3 runs. So to make a very basic example of a stolen base issue, if you look at those run expectancy charts, you can see that with a man on first and no outs, the team is expected to score about 0.87 runs. But if you can successfully steal second base, that run expectancy becomes 1.08 runs. So you've increased your team's run expectancy by, by about 0.21 runs, you know, a fifth of a run. That's not bad. However, if you get caught stealing, 
the run expectancy from having a man on first and no outs to having nobody on and one out, it drops from 0.87 to 0.27. So you've dropped 0.6 runs, or basically three-fifths of a run. So I know we've already gotten kind of number heavy, but this is just pretty basic math. You lose 0.6 runs for getting caught, and you gain 0.21 for a successful steal. So you basically need to steal three bases for every time you get caught just to break even. So yeah, for most players, it's definitely not worth it. And I hope that answers your questions, and that's the show. And I really appreciate everyone listening. I I can't believe it's already going to be Friday again. Check out tomorrow's Locked on Tigers for review of tonight's game. And it's the NFL Draft today, which you may or may not know. I won't be covering that, but in the spirit of the season, I will talk about the Major League Baseball Draft, which is coming up in about five weeks, and the Tigers pick fifth this year. But if you're hungry for NFL Draft Talk, I suggest you go ahead and download and listen to Locked On Lions or Locked On whatever your favorite team is. And I'll be back tomorrow to close out the week for you. So thanks again for listening. Have a good one.